Welcome to another episode of WDMA Open and Close. I'm your host, Mike O'Brien, CEO of the Window and Door Manufacturers Association. It's hard to believe this is already the fourth episode of the podcast. I want to thank everyone for all the feedback so far, and please keep it coming. As a reminder, you can subscribe to WDMA Open and Close through iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. You can also listen to us online through the WDMA website at WDMA.com slash WDMA Open and Close. Coming up in this episode, WDMA's Director of Government Affairs, Kevin McKenney, discusses the results and impact of the hugely important midterm elections with Jordan Stoich, Vice President of Government Relations for the National Association of Manufacturers. Then I'll have a conversation with Tom Himmel of the Right Screen Company about trends in screen manufacturing. So stay with us. With the smoke clearing from the recent midterm elections, Washington is mapping out what 2019 has in store legislatively. With the Democrats taking control of the House of Representatives and the Republicans keeping the Senate, many are expecting quite a bit of gridlock. Let's find out what the key takeaways are and what opportunities exist for manufacturing in 2019. Joining us for this episode is Jordan Stoich, Vice President of Government Relations at the National Association of Manufacturers. Jordan serves as the NAM's lead lobbyist in Washington and manages the NAM's Political Action Committee. Jordan most recently served in the U.S. Treasury Department and before that spent time on Capitol Hill, including as Chief of Staff to Congresswoman Christy Noem. He is originally from South Dakota and graduated from the University of South Dakota. Jordan, thanks very much for taking the time with us. Thanks, Kevin. Glad to be with you. Well, we're excited to download all the information about the recent midterms. It was certainly an interesting week here in Washington. So I wanted to start with the House of Representatives. You know, we know that the Democrats took control of that chamber. They, they picked up a whole bunch of key seats. And so what are your key takeaways and, and observations from the House races? Tuesday night's results uh, confirmed uh, what we believe for a long time, that this country's political divide is real uh, and it's hardening, and it's really largely split uh, along geographic lines. As I mentioned earlier, you know, suburban races were very difficult for Republicans. Suburban areas tend to have a higher percentage of college-educated voters uh, in higher-income households. Those areas voted largely, uh, relatively strongly for Hillary Clinton in, in 2016. And again, on election day of this year, they voted pretty strongly Democratic. So the, the so-called gen gender gap and income disparity gap, if you will, was and has been real, and it's still very much still very much a factor. Right. Gotcha. So just as a quick follow-up in the House there, were there any really big surprises or upsets that you know, kind of shocked observers in Washington and made them say, wow, that was that was unexpected. In, in terms of surprises, I think the biggest surprise is that there really weren't too many big surprises. Polling professionals had a, a pretty difficult night in 2016 on election night, but they fared much better in this year's elections. Based on uh, polling data that I had seen, I, I agreed with most political handicappers and pundits going into election day this year that Democrats would pick up around 35 seats. And it, it looks like, you know, after the dust settles here in the coming days and maybe even weeks, that that's right around where 
they're going to end up. I think it'll be a, roughly a 35 uh, seat net pickup for Democrats. But there, there always are some surprises uh, or races that leave everyone talking the next day. And if I if I had to pick, I think that race this year, uh, the race that comes to mind would be Oklahoma's fifth congressional district. This was a race that was was on no one's radar, and incumbent. Uh, that's a race in in which incumbent Republican Steve Russell was defeated by Democrat Kendra Horn by about three thousand votes. Uh, and in super red Oklahoma, it, it was certainly a surprise. Yeah, I was looking at that one as well. So you briefly mentioned the uh, the Senate now. So there, we saw that the Republicans actually gained seats there despite losing those seats in the House. So any any additional takeaways for this for the Senate side? As bad of a night as it was for Republicans in the House, it was pretty good actually for Republicans in the Senate. As of now, Republicans have have netted a gain of two seats. Uh, it's possible that they could get to three which would give them a 54-seat majority, which, by the way, would be the largest majority Republicans have had in the Senate since 2005. There are three. There are still three races whose outcomes are unknown. The Mississippi race, where incumbent Senator Cindy Hyde-Smith is running after being appointed to the seat earlier this year, uh, that race is, is headed to a late November runoff, November 27th. I suspect that Senator Hyde-Smith will be victorious in that race, if for nothing else, just because it's in Mississippi and uh, she's done a good job, but it's also such a Republican state. Um, in Florida, Republican Rick Scott, who is currently the governor, he is leading in his race against incumbent Democrat Senator Nelson, though that race is headed toward uh, a recount. And then lastly, in Arizona, votes are still being counted in the race between two incumbent members of the House, Congresswoman Kristen Sinema and Congresswoman Martha McSally. It's uh, incredibly close. It, it, the votes come in in the, in the coming days. It's really going to be a, a coin toss. Yeah, I definitely was. I was looking recently at some of those, this, the situation down in Florida and, and even the close race in Arizona. So those, those, will be, those will be fascinating to see what turns out there. So we've kind of mapped out a little bit about the House and Senate going into 2019. So with the new composition uh, of Congress, what types of policy could we expect to see in 2019? There's a lot of discussion about the gridlock and about the Democrats in the House are going to be doing a lot of you know, things related to President Trump, uh, different hearings and whatnot. So I wanted to ask about if you see any potential path for policy, getting any meaningful legislation through. Sure, Kevin. And, and you're right. It It is going to be challenging in the next year or two. You know, governing is hard even in the best of times and divided government is certainly hard, but it doesn't have to be. And with the background being that there will be, at least on the House side, there's going to be a lot of oversight investigations done at the committee level. They will be looking into, most likely, into uh, all things President Trump and Trump administration. And so there will be that challenge, that, that headwind, if you will. But divided government also presents a, a great opportunity to achieve wins on, on big legislative items, as long as both sides are, are willing to give a little. And that's, of course, the important thing. From a manufacturing standpoint, you know we aren't uh, at the National Association of Manufacturers. We're not a partisan organization. Manufacturing workers and their companies aren't aren't partisan uh, organizations or entities. So here at the NAM, we will work with with anyone, Republican, Democrat, or independent who who wants to further policies that strengthen manufacturing. And looking back, if you will, on the the last two years, you know we've been very pleased with the successes that were achieved, mainly on tax reform and regulatory relief. Uh, these two things 
really have gone a long way to lead to what is uh, an incredibly strong economy right now. You take a look at, you know, GDP is over 3%, wages are up, jobs are growing, especially in the manufacturing sector. So, you know, we believe that the strong economy is largely tied to those pro-growth policies of tax reform and regulatory relief. And that's why we uh, at, the, at the NAM engaged so, so heavily in achieving those wins over the last two years. But with that said, we want to, even in a divided government, look for those opportunities so where we can build on those achievements. And trade is, is certainly going to be a big area. The new NAFTA 2.0 or USMCA, as President Trump has kind of rebranded it, is, is likely to be signed by the three countries, by the three parties later this month at the end of November. Congress will then need to approve that agreement, um, likely early next year. Additionally, infrastructure is going to be a huge opportunity. We know it's important to manufacturers, for all manufacturers, and, and we'll be prepared to work with both Republicans and Democrats to push as large of an infrastructure package as we can next year. So I wanted to ask then about a little bit more about the trade policy that you brought up. The USMCA agreement is something that WDMA has been following very closely and has been weighing in periodically during the renegotiation process. We were part of the NAM's NAFTA task force and the NAM did did very good work there on that. So regarding the congressional approval process, um, as you mentioned, I think we expect that President Trump and the other signatories will come together around at the end of the month and, and sign that uh, agreement and then send it over to Congress. So the question I have is specifically regarding the Democrats in the House. There's definitely some interesting politics there surrounding the USMCA and the draft format it's in now. What kind of challenges do you think that could arise to get Democratic support for that in the House? There's definitely some provisions that we've seen in the draft that seem to be things that Democrats might be supportive of, but then we've seen also that they've identified some holes in it. So from a even if just from a procedural perspective, do you think that this is something that Democrats are going to be enthusiastic about, or are they going to be a little bit more apprehensive uh, considering President Trump's fingerprints are on that? I think that largely remains to be seen. We're certainly optimistic that the new House Democrat ma majority will work with the Republican members of the minority to, to approve the, the new agreement. Uh, I, I'm less worried about the Senate. I think that there, there'll be much stronger support for it on the Senate side. But when when the House comes back in to session next week, they will immediately go into their organizing meetings where they will, at least on the Republican side next year, uh, next week, they will be electing their new leadership for the next Congress. Later on this month, the Democrats will do the same thing. And that's where we'll see Former Speaker Pelosi uh, has indicated she will be running for speaker again. And the the challenges that you uh, pointed to earlier, that you mentioned earlier with some of the members of her caucus, a lot of the members of her caucus who have traditionally been skeptical on trade, I think that will all play into the conversations that she's having right now trying to lock down votes to become the next speaker. There are some things that you mentioned that Democrats like in this new agreement, some stronger um, uh, areas in the, in the la uh, uh, some stronger provisions in the labor area. Again, we're, we're certainly hopeful that they will, as a collective, take a look at the importance of this three country, this trilateral trade agreement, and realize that it's something that they have got to work with Republicans and in, in President Trump on to, to get ratified. Right. That makes sense. So... What then can manufacturers, specifically our members who are involved in a variety of areas regarding the production of, of windows, doors, and skylights, what can we do in 
2019 to further our, our causes. We have our annual legislative conference that we host in Washington, and we are engaged throughout the year uh, here in Washington on, on policy. So specifically for manufacturers, what are some of the things that they can do to further the causes of some of these issues that we've been discussing and, and make some progress on meaningful policy? The answer to that question is very simple. It's it's stay involved. And and what I mean by that is stay involved to your to your membership. Stay involved with the Window and Door Manufacturers Association and stay engaged and involved with your elected officials in the House and the Senate. Make sure WDMA knows not only the challenges you face, but also of the positive things that you've been able to do for your your business and for your employees as a result of uh, good policy like tax reform and regulatory relief. If you're adding new employees or new shifts or giving bonuses or raises or doing anything positive, make sure to tell that story. That's the best way to protect good policy wins that have that we've recently achieved that have that have helped uh, manufacturers, manufacturing companies, and help grow the economy. And if there, you know, conversely, if there is a policy or regulation that's negatively impacting your company, make sure to tell that story too, either through WDMA or directly to your members of Congress, and make sure that they know specifically how it will impact your employees, because real stories matter. They're much more powerful than statistics and and numbers on a piece of paper. Well, that makes a lot of sense, and. That about wraps up my questions. So Jordan, we would like to thank you for joining us on our podcast. I think that was insightful and we'll certainly be continuing to engage with the NAM in 2019. And it will uh, certainly be an interesting year in Washington as it always uh, seems to be. So uh, Jordan, thank you so much. Thank you, Kevin. And we, uh, we look forward to continuing working uh, with you as well. Kick off 2019 by attending the WDMA Northeast Winter Conference in Baltimore. The event starts the evening of January 28th with an opening welcome reception, followed the next day by a full day of programming. You'll start the year right with a 2019 market forecast from NEHB. There will also be a keynote session on builder and contractor sentiment and influencing factors from the Farnsworth Group, and a session on the legislative, regulatory, and code landscape for 2019. And there will be plenty of networking opportunities as well. Early bird registration rates expire December 31st, so don't delay. For more program and registration information, visit WDMA.com. Founded in 1947, the Wright Screen Company is the largest independent manufacturer of window and patio door screens in North America. Through its network of seven plants across the U.S., WrightScreen is able to provide complete solutions for window and patio door manufacturers across the country. Besides complete assembled screens, the company can also provide engineering and factory layouts, as well as components such as roll form material, extrusion, and injective molded parts. With me today to discuss some of the trends in screen manufacturing is Tom Himmel, president of WrightScreen. Tom, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Mike. Pleasure to talk to you today. So, Tom, tell us about RateScreen. Well, thanks, Mike, for your kind introduction. As you as you noted, we've been in the business for over 70 years. We're supplying the industry with reliable window screens. And, and when I think about what we do as RateScreen and why we exist, we exist to deliver peace of mind 
to window and door manufacturers by providing window screens and door screens to them, focusing on quality products, continuous improvement, making sure that we're not passing along inefficiencies to them, and top-notch service. Unlike some of the other people that are out there that are in the business of making window screens, this is what we focus on. This is what we do. We are dedicated to the manufacture of fully assembled screens and screen components sold to window and door manufacturers. We've got a top-notch, experienced, consultative in-house sales team that are employees that work together with OEMs to deliver exceptional service that surpasses their needs. We've got a best-in-class design team, the best screening experience, engineering experience in the fenestration sector, and we're constantly working with our customers to improve the design and how to make a, a more efficient, more attractive product at a better cost and a total value to the end customer. Some of the things that we're able to do is that we can provide a, an insurance program to some folks that just want to buy components from us that if they get into a bind uh, on their shop floor that will start making screens on their behalf using the assembled com uh, components that they source from us today. So that's, that's a unique uh, service that we can offer to our customer base. We've got seven plants located all across the United States from the East Coast to the West Coast, and we can provide customers what they need on a just-in-time basis, which is crucial to providing them the service that they want and expect that when they get a short lead time from their customers, we're there to work with them to provide uh, what they need when they need it. And overall, our goal is to make sure that we're increasing their return on investment, their return on capital employed by freeing up their, their capital, their floor space, and their employees to focus on higher value-added activities, which to them is providing windows and doors that delight their customers, the end consumer. So you're serving both Canada and the U.S.? We do a little bit in Canada today, but predominantly we're focused on the United States. Great. So how did you become involved with the company? Uh, well, I started off the first 20 years of my career in the chemical industry, and then in 2009, joined up uh, with a company called Armacell, which manufactures uh, insulation and got into the commercial side of the business and worked there until I, uh, we sold the company and joined RightScreen a little less than a year ago. And uh, it's been a wonderful experience. RightScreen was owned by a private equity firm starting in 2014. And Randy Isles, who was my predecessor, did a fantastic job uh, taking the company private from JT Walker. And uh, he decided to retire and he remains active with the company as a, an advisor to me and to the board. And uh, it's just a, a been a great, great experience getting into the fenestration business and more on the residential side of construction from commercial. Yes, uh, Randy was very well known and very active within within the industry for so many years. So what are some of the main benefits to manufacturers from outsourcing their screen needs? I know that's that's part of your value proposition. So how do you explain it? Sure, sure. I, I mean, you know, at the end of the day, when we talk to a lot of our customers, uh, you know, window screens are a necessary part of the window offering, but it's really not the high value 
that a consumer is going to buy a window for. It's an add-on. And it takes up a lot of floor space and, and can tie up a lot of people because it tends to be a very manual process that you end up having a lot of working capital dedicated for and time and energy tied up with. And so what we do is to take that manufacturer from them and provide them, if they need a customized solution, we'll do that to match their needs. But it allows them to free up the cash, time, and people to really focus on growing their business. I mean, we love window screens, and it's what we do for a living. But a consumer doesn't go buy a window for the window screen, right? So our customers want to be focused on the end consumer demand, and we're able to allow them to focus on their core competencies. And so what we're what we end up providing them as part of a service is you know, we can tie directly to their ERP system so that when they're placing an order, it's seamless and comes into our into our ERP system where we know exactly what they want and when they want it. And then we get it to them either house packed or sequenced to their production so that, let's say, a Gaylord full of screens can can be delivered directly to their line sequenced to what they do. So the person at the end of the line, when the window is ready to ship out the door, they can just simply put it right on the truck or right in the window and off it goes. So they don't have to think about what their window screens at the end of the day. Are there still a lot of manufacturer window manufacturers producing their own screens? Yeah, there are. The, the exciting thing for us is the amount of growth that's out there in the market still. We estimate that at least 50% of window screens produced are still made by OEMs today. So that high. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it it makes it a, a very exciting prospect for us as a company to be able to grow. And you know, as what we what we have found is that, you know, after after the the big housing collapse in the 2007-2008 stage, a lot of window manufacturers unfortunately didn't make it and those that did are wiser and and have been very very conscious of how do they apply their cash in in smart ways and so you know we, we're an option to help them do that going down the road where you want to you want to be focused on how do i grow my business even during a downturn without having to lay people off and you can be focused on a lot a lot uh, more valuable things as a window manufacturer than making window screens so what trends in the window and door industry are you seeing that you think are going to be driving your company over the next few years? I think, you know, it, it, it translates down to what we see at the end consumer, where if we were to look back at our business, let's say 10, 15 years ago, there were not as many colors, uh, not as many styles, and the end consumer is asking for that in their home. You know, so as the window manufacturers are are out there customizing uh, their windows in terms of colors, we have to be able to match that. And it does drive a lot of our offerings. And we're coming up with with different solutions to to meet that, where when you purchase a window in an optimal sense, you want to be able to look straight through it and not see a screen and not see a window frame. And right. so we're coming out with new products uh, next, early next year 
they're going to help enhance that. Some of the, the screen mesh manufacturers out there continue to push the envelope on having as transparent a screen as possible to enable to enhance the customer experience of just opening up your window and being outside and getting fresh air in, into your home and not realizing that there's a screen there. So, uh, you know, we're working in, in a lot of different areas along those lines to enhance the customer experience for the window manufacturer. So picking up on that, that theme that you're talking about, what kind of other innovations, screen trends are, are you seeing now or what, what should we expect in the near future? Well, in addition, in addition to that, I would say, you know, screens that are much lower profile in the window pocket where that you can't see the frame, you're just simply looking out the window and then also easy to install from the from the OEM manufacturer. We are in the process of launching a, a new product called uh, SlideWrite, which for single hung windows, we have a sliding mechanism on the side of our screen that has two functions. Uh, one allows it to be slid in very simply, easy to install. And then second, it eliminates potential rattle. So when the wind blows like it, like it can in many homes that you don't have your window screen rattling in the window, it's there, it's tight, it's taut, and yet it's easy to take, take in and out should you need to clean it or want to remove it and replace it. So, we're we're really excited about that product as it comes to market next year. I know people probably tend to think of screens as sort of a simple product, but just like everything else, it's more complicated than you think. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's it's one of those things that you don't necessarily think about. It has its it has its tricks, it has its complexities, and it and most importantly has its its value and its uh, innovation to really enhance the customer experience when you're when you're purchasing a brand new window, because they are great investments for a home and we want to be able to complement that investment. So there's been a quite a bit of M&A activity in the window and door industry, as you know. Mm -hmm. uh, how does that impact RightScreen, which supplies products to so many companies? Well, again, going with that theme of cost savings, uh, when we look at, you know, Plygem and uh, just in the in the year that I've been here, in the industry. Wow, what a ride uh, yeah. that those guys have been through going private and then being sold uh, to go public and, and all on the way making all the acquisitions uh, that they have, which is just impressive. And, and and other companies as well doing the same thing, going on acquisition binges, if you will. I mean, it's much needed consolidation, I think, in the industry to provide you know, consumers the, the right level of efficiencies that they're expecting. But from our, from our perspective, you know, we kind of view it as an opportunity because investors are going to be expecting a return on all that consolidation in terms of cost savings. And, you know, they'll, they'll be some obviously squeezed out, but we're, we can come to the table and offer some significant cost savings by outsourcing screens where instead, if, if you're looking at trying to consolidate a facility, we can help you free up that floor space. We can help you free up the employees. So if you're moving from one plant into another, those folks can be redeployed into, into making windows. 
Um, so we can offer some serious cost savings to help pay for those investments and consolidations that are being made in the industry. So yeah, as I mentioned before, there's still a lot of fertile ground to be plowed in terms of market growth for us in terms of screens. This is just another driver of that of that growth away from making in-house. Well, and I don't think the M&A activity is going to be slowing down in the, in the near future. So I think there's going to be even more opportunity out there for you. Yeah, it doesn't it doesn't appear so, right? There there's a lot of money in play in the marketplace and uh, they're looking for homes to gain a great return and fenestration's a, a perfect opportunity for it since the market has historically been so fragmented and I think a lot of investors are out there seeing that and are willing to put their money in the market, which is which is good for us as an industry. It means that there's some faith in us and the value we provide to customers and and the growth that we're able to provide. Uh, to deliver on that. And, and we're part of helping out to return on that investment for, for our customers and that they can give it to their shareholders as well. So RightScreen's been a longtime member of WDMA. I know you're relatively new uh, to the association, but what do you feel are the, the benefits that RightScreen gets out of being a WDMA member? Well, I think, you know, it, it, one, it helps us stay in touch with the overall trends that are affecting our customers in the industry. It's always great to, uh, like we were up in Cambridge with you guys uh, not that long ago and got a feel for what's next on the horizon for us as an industry and the direction that uh, the industry is going in. And and WDMA provides a wonderful conduit for us to gain that information, along with all the networking opportunities that are out there. And then also uh, lobbying that you guys have done on the industry's behalf, especially as it as it pertains to all the tariffs and fun things that have been coming along. It's nice. It's nice to have an industry conduit for that support where the tariffs where the tariffs might be helping aluminum manufacturers. They don't necessarily help us who consume aluminum. Yeah, the tariff landscape is uh, constantly evolving right now, but it's certainly something that we're heavily involved with going forward. Yeah, and that's a, and that's a big service that you guys do for us as an industry, and we we do greatly appreciate that having having advocates on our behalf. So one last question, something we we ask everybody is, tell us something about Tom Himmel that would surprise people. Ooh, oh, this is a good one. Let me see. Well, I worked for secure. I worked as a security guard for the Rolling Stones in my youth. Oh wow. <laughs> That is pretty cool. Yeah, that's a little different, right? So, well, the story goes, when I was at school at Villanova, some of my fraternity brothers had figured out that there's a demand for labor at Veterans Stadium and the old uh, JFK Stadium downtown uh, during concerts and that they needed security guards just on a one-time basis to collect tickets and keep people in in line and uh, literally you would just show up to the concert the day of and hang out with a bunch of the the guys in charge of you tended to be the the practice squad players for the philadelphia eagles and you would stand around with a yellow shirt on their on your back and help people uh get to where they needed to be and i think one of the one of the nights in 1989 that i got to do that i was actually backstage uh, by completely by accident unfortunately ejecting somebody for doing something they shouldn't have but it was a it was a cool it, you know it was a kind of a cool story 
and and they're still going. So yeah, that's the amazing thing, right? I I, yep. I wish I could do that at seventy-ish, whatever those guys are. <laughs> Thanks so much for joining us on the podcast, Tom. We really appreciate your insights. Thank you, Mike. I appreciate it. And that does it for another episode of WDMA Open and Close. If you are listening to us through your favorite podcast platforms, such as iTunes, Stitcher, or Spotify, do us a favor and don't forget to subscribe and rate us. Thanks for listening and goodbye until the next episode of WDMA Open and Close.